A reading from the book of Esther, chapter 4. <clears throat> In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs assigned to attend her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the, of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence, to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go. Gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, good morning and welcome to worship today. I'm Pastor Tammy Roach, and I'm glad to be here with each and every one of you this morning. Um, as we've heard, we are in the second uh, part of our sermon series entitled Wonder Women. And last week, Pastor Mark delivered his message on Hannah and talked about the wonder of prayer. This week, I get to dive deeper into the Old Testament book of Esther and talking about what we can learn from Esther about the wonder of courage. Now, before we really get into the courage aspect of this, I think it's really important that we understand the book of Esther in its entirety. So I want to point out a few things to you to help you understand this book. First of all, Esther is a unique book of the Bible. She is one of only two books. There's only one of two books named after a woman. The other is, of course, Ruth. 
So Esther and Ruth are the only two books of the Bible named after women. The second thing that, to point out uh, about the book of Esther is that it's a piece of historical fiction, making its literary type unique. So it's based off of historical events. The book of Esther was written by a Jewish author with the knowledge of the Persian Empire. It provides the historical grounds for the Jewish festival of Purim, which celebrates the deliverance of the Jewish people from King Xerxes and the Persian Empire. Set in a foreign culture, Esther is portrayed as an Israelite hero who rises to prominence and provides the means in which the people of Israel are saved. It is a really well-written story full of intentional and cleverly done exaggerations, drama, tragedy, twists of fate, and even humor. In fact, when this story is read at the annual Jewish feast of Purim, people cheer loudly when they hear the names of Esther and Mordecai, but boo when they hear the name of Haman. Some reenact this story making fun of King Xerxes as a bumbling idiot and Haman as a pompous fool, exaggerating and bringing attention to the comedic action. The book of Esther is a beautiful blend of actual history and cleverly used literary devices, making it the perfect story to tell at a party. The third unique feature of the book of Esther is that God is not mentioned once in the book of Esther. It lacks any spiritual or religious language. It never mentions the law or offerings or sacrifices or even prayer. The closest we get is a reference to fasting in the scripture that we read for today. God's providence, however, is present throughout the entire book. God is not mentioned one time in the book of Esther, but his fingerprints are all over it. In Esther, God is absent intentionally to bring attention to the fact that it is God who is in control and directing all those seemingly insignificant coincidences. We learn that God works through whatever means necessary to bring about the desires of this world, the desires that he has for the world that he created. He works through the natural order of things, he works through people, and he works through miracles. Whether or not we recognize it at his, as his work. The fourth feature that makes the book of Esther unique is its canonicity. Because of the items listed above and the fact that the book of Esther is not found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, Esther's inclusion in the canon has been widely debated. In fact, Martin, Martin Luther commented that he wished the book of Esther had never been written because of its many problems. But as with all books of the Bible, the inclusion of Esther serves a divine purpose, and it has great theological significance. Some say its sole purpose is to explain the Feast of Purim, and others claim that it's a story only of the providence of God. Some say it's a story which highlights a woman who relied on God's strength to provide her courage in the greatest time of need. Personally, I think the answer is yes. It's all of these things, and it's so much more. See, Hebrew writings were not just historical recordings, but they provided moral and theological lessons. So now that we understand the unique features of the book of Esther, I think we need to bring us into some of the background that brings us up to our scripture reading for today. 
The story of Esther takes place outside of the promised land of the Persian Empire in the 5th century B.C. Now, while most of the Jews had returned from exile, some chose to stay in place. Our narrative, then, is about the Jews who did not return after the exile, but chose to stay in Persia because they had become accustomed to their comfortable and lucrative lifestyle under the authority of the Persians. Now, as we begin our story, King Xerxes was hosting a six-month celebration, which concluded with a seven-day lavish banquet for all the people of Susa. This was a really loud and rambunctious party with no shortness of wine. Queen Vashti, his wife, enjoyed her own party simultaneous to the king's. And on the seventh day, when the king was in very high spirits, he summoned Queen Vashti, but she refused to come to him. This, of course, angered the king quite greatly, and in his drunken stupor, he made a rash decision to cast the queen aside, stripping her of her crown and forbidding her to come into the king's presence ever again. Later, to replace Queen Vashti, a search was made throughout the kingdom for all of the beautiful young women to possibly become the new queen. And this is when Esther enters the picture. Esther, who has been raised by her cousin Mordecai, a Jewish official working for the king, was taken into the king's harem, and eventually she was chosen queen. Soon after, Mordecai, her cousin, who was working at the city gate, overheard a plot to kill King Xerxes. He immediately told Queen Esther, who in turn reported the news to the king, and who then put these two guilty officials to death. Mordecai was a man of good character. Here now enters the evil villain, Haman. Haman held a place of high honor within the kingdom, and he was known to be a prideful, self-indulgent man who hated the Jews. He demanded that all of the people bow down and worship him. But Mordecai refused, which of course infuriated Haman, who used this opportunity to not only punish Mordecai, but to develop a plan to exterminate all of the Jews from the land. With the king's naive approval, Haman cast a lot to determine the day of their demise. Now, upon hearing the news, Mordecai and his fellow Jews publicly mourned the announcement. They tore their clothes. They wore sackcloth and ashes. There was fasting and weeping and wailing. And this finally got Esther's attention. And now we enter into our scripture reading today, chapter 4, verse 3. If you're following along, it's page 398 in your worship Bibles. Haman had issued this, this fateful edict, and there was great mourning among the Jews. Now, it's important to know that up until now, Esther had been a passive character who obediently and dutifully took instruction from Mordecai. Now she moves to the front of the stage. She did not know about the edict, but knew that her fellow Jews, and most importantly, her cousin Mordecai, was in great distress. The process of discovery and understanding began. This, then, is the turning point where Esther is being called from a passive and obedient woman to a courageous woman of action. In verse 8, Mordecai gave Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, a copy of the edict, and through him gave instruction to Esther, 
to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Up until this point, Esther had kept her ethnicity private. Mordecai had instructed her to do this for her safety and survival and also for her advancement in the kingdom. And now she was being asked to expose her true identity. It was also common knowledge during this time that there was a law forbidding anyone, I mean anyone, including the king's wife, from entering the inner court without being summoned. The punishment for this was death. Unless, according to verse 11, the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their life. And to top it all off, Esther had not been called to the king's company for 30 days, which meant that it was a possibility that she was falling from his favor. The danger was very real. Approaching the king meant risking her life. And for the first time ever, Esther tells Mordecai, no. She is fearful of her own safety and is not quick to take up the cause of her people. Esther sent a message back to Mordecai expressing her very real fear of what may happen if she breaks the law. And Mordecai then tells her in verse 13, Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Or who knows that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. See, Mordecai is trying to encourage Esther to do the right thing, to be courageous in spite of her fear. He wants her to understand that the most dangerous thing she can do is to do nothing at all and just hopes the situation just goes away. Mordecai, without using God's name, invokes the reality of God's providence in all circumstances. Look, he says, God is going to save the Jewish people. He has promised deliverance to his people. He'll do that with or without you at this time and circumstance, or in another. But maybe, just maybe, all of these coincidences, all of your great fortune that you have experienced have happened because God wants you to act. And that God is calling you to be courageous and do the right thing. Now for me, this next part is very key. It's not like Esther just skipped away happily without concern over her next, her, over her real, over her fate. Okay, Mordecai, let's do it. She did not naively enter the king's inner court. She did not enter into danger without first looking to God. Look at verse 16. She told Mordecai to gather all of the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. 
when this is done, then I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. Esther did not go to the king until after she had fasted. During a fast, the Jewish people would pray continuously for God's blessing, his protection, his guidance, his strength. And Esther was asking for all of the Jewish people in Susa to pray to God for her in this moment. To, de to devote three days to fasting and prayer. Three days devoted to God. All to help her muster the courage to take this very bold step in spite of her fear. See, if this was indeed God's call for her life, if this was indeed her purpose and her position, then she was asking and seeking God's strength to help her fulfill her duty. To help her do the right thing in spite of the potential risk. She ends the discourse with this. And if I perish, I perish. She does not know what the outcome will be, but she is going to take action because it is the right thing to do and because she is the only one who has a chance to change the king's mind. She is going to take action and trust God with the outcome, whatever that may be. That's courage. Courage, as defined by Michael Hyatt, is the willingness to act in spite of fear. And in this story, we see many examples of courage. Queen Vashti refused to humiliate herself from the whimsical desires of her husband. Mordecai refused to bow down to Haman. Esther broke the law of her husband and risked her very life for her people. God's providential care had brought Esther to this point. But it was Esther who had to accept the challenge that might cost her her life. Her initial reaction was fear. But Esther made a decision to act. That's true courage. So what really can we take away from the story of Esther and her courage? I offer three points for you today. The first is that prayer brings clarity and hope in difficult situations. In the days of Esther, fasting made the prayer experience more effective and prepared for communion with God. So she didn't do this alone, but she looked to the support of her other Jews. And after three days of fasting and praying, Esther's fears were transformed into faith. Her doubts into trust. Her indecision into determination. And the worries about her own life and to concern for her people. In times of trouble, and in times when you need to muster up some divine courage, go to God in prayer. There is no promise that he will take away your problem, or your human fear, or your situation, but he will walk with you, and he will bring you a new perspective and a sense of hope. The second thing we learn about the wonder of courage from Esther is that God is the source who turns our fear into courage. Esther here depends on more than human courage, which is often failing and fleeting 
and often self-serving. Instead, she humbly went to God, and over a course of three days, God filled her with his strength, with his perspective, with his energy, and his courage, so that she could fulfill her purpose in life. We, too, may feel weak or overwhelmed when we initially face a problem or a challenge. But as we turn to God, our weakness is converted into his strength. And the third thing to note about courage from the book of Esther is that courage is a decision. Action in spite of fear can alter your circumstance. In the face of fear, it is so easy to get overwhelmed, but taking action can change your life and help you to be the man or woman that God created you to be, a person who is fulfilling God's purpose for your life. Sometimes we are called to make a decision of inaction, to hold our tongue, to respond and not react. That, too, can be a valuable choice. What's been your most courageous moment? Can you think of a time when you were called to be courageous? Maybe it was standing up to a bully at school or telling a parent when a friend is making a dangerous choice. Maybe it's standing up to your boss who is making some unethical decisions. Or maybe it's following a dream that God has placed in your heart. Maybe you have saved someone who was choking in a restaurant or pulled somebody from a burning building. Maybe you've sat by the bedside of your parent or spouse as they suffered through illness or grew closer to death. These are all courageous acts. See, courage is more than the willingness to act in spite of fear. It's strength in the face of pain or grief. We are often called to greatness without even realizing it. We fail to see how God has put us in a situation or placed us in a position for such a time as this. See, during those times in life when it's difficult to discern God's presence, Remember the book of Esther and be reminded that God is involved and he is faithfully working for your well-being. God has a plan and a purpose for you. And when you reach that defining moment or those defining moments, I pray that you not only look to the one who created you, but to his very son who completed the most courageous act possible by going to the cross on our behalf. Stand firm in his name. Let's pray. Dear God, we know you are here with us. You are always here for us. Working through our circumstances and our hardship, revealing yourself through both coincidence and major events in our life. Lord God, we pray that you open our hearts and our minds to see the, the myriad of ways that you are working in our lives. 
Provide us courage, Lord, to do the right thing in difficult situations and to act boldly in spite of our fears. For it's in you we find our strength. Through the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.